Welcome to How We Win, the official podcast of The Persistence. Action is the best antidote for anxiety, and we can all make a difference right now. Today, we're going to skip over all of the Trump indictment talk and get right to the winning our elections and saving our democracy talk, plus drugs. Joining us to talk strategy, data, and how we win is messaging and media expert and my partner in crime, Dan Ancona. (laughs) I'm Steve Pearson. I'm Jessica Craven. And I'm Jennifer Fernandez Ancona. And And this this is is How We Win. Win. We're talking drugs, but it's not what you think. First of all, hi, everybody. Welcome back. We mi- I missed you all. We made it through the hurricane, and and here we are. If you if you're not from the L.A. area, we had a hurricane and, and an earthquake at the same time. And that was interesting. Yeah, we're forever wow. changed by it, but we're not sure how. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was wild. Did you guys have like was it a lot for you just physically, or was it more just the yeah, not for you personally, but just like what was going on in LA at the time. It wasn't that bad in in Los Angeles. It was a lot of rain, and then you know some. Uh, uh, it wasn't like a uh, any damage from the hur- uh, earthquake, hurricane, quake, whatever we're calling it. Yeah. Um, it was just we were inside, all battened the hatches, ready for um, this tropical storm, which is, you know, an anomaly that I suppose we'll be seeing more of because, uh, you know, climate change has literally changed our climate and we're seeing super storms in places that we're not used to seeing them. But um, yeah. uh, just to have that earthquake happen at the same time, it was like, really? Come on. <laughs> yeah, it was a little on the nose, really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Totally. Yeah, we need your husband to uh, to write a, a less on the nose script uh, than <laughs> than that yeah. one. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Yeah, I get that. Well, I'm glad you're all you all were okay. Thanks, thanks. I mean, but compared to what it what it could have been, you know. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and there was some really there was some very bad flooding, and uh, not everyone was sp- spared, especially out in the high desert and Palm Springs area and stuff like that. They got hit really yeah. hard. Yeah. Mm. Um, and of course, now as we're recording this, we're watching uh, a hurricane uh, off the in coast Florida. of Florida, um, mm-hmm. and concerned about that too. So, when this drops, I you know, hope everyone is is safe from that, and and we haven't seen uh, seen more devastation that that seems just way too commonplace now. Yeah. yeah. And the the gas tank, did you all hear about the gas tank snafu that's made it harder for people to evacuate? Because I guess a bunch of gas stations had diesel fuel in their regular gas pumps instead of the fuel that was supposed to be there. It was a mistake. So about 12 gas stations were dispensing in the area that's being evacuated. People's uh, gas tanks have to be flushed out before or their cars will stall if they try driving them. Oh my so, gosh. So yeah, it's just been a wow. rather calamitous moment. I mean, hopefully people have been able to address it, but yeah. It's uh it's it's been a, a string of bad luck in Florida. Wow. Yeah. Well, let's let's pivot to talking about some some good news and some stuff that uh I mean, this could be my reason for hope right now. Uh, I'll I'll just say and that's um this news about um Drugs. Let's talk drugs. Jessica, you just did a uh, a TikTok on this. Is that right? 
I did. I did. You know, this is the kind of thing that the Biden administration does that is is so great and so like not sexy. So it's so I <laughs> I try go to do these TikToks and I'm like, oh Lord help me. You know, it's it's a TikTok about reduced drug prices. Uh, you know, ten drugs that are going to be uh, negotiated with. You know, Medicare is going to be negotiating for these ten drugs and. How do you explain to people what a big deal this is? It sounds very, you know, it just does not sound that interesting. It does not sound like something that anyone really is interested in. But on the other hand, we have these drugs that are drugs for diabetes. They're drugs for heart disease, um, mm -hmm. stroke that are going to be the, the, the prices will go down. It won't take effect until 2026, but the negotiations start now. And we know what a big deal it is by the amount of money that Big Pharma has spent trying to stop this provision in the Inflation Reduction Act, which is $400 million they spent wow. trying to stop this bill from passing. Wow. And eight major pharmaceutical companies are right now suing to stop this provision. Wow. Um, and Republicans, of course, are helping them because yeah. that's what they do. Yeah. They are trying to pass legislation to repeal these provisions because Republicans work hand in glove with big pharma. Mm -hmm. yeah. But in, in the meantime, right now, it is it is going forward and it is going to save uh, a lot of Americans, particularly senior citizens, working Americans, yeah, and working seniors. Americans and seniors, a ton of money. So yeah. tell your friends it is really, really big. Yeah. Wasn't Obama talking about this in the early days of, you know, 2007, 2008? I feel like it's been a, a refrain that has been brought up a lot around if only we could Medicare could could negotiate for cheaper drug prices to keep these companies, you know, these pharma companies in check. And it just feels like we've talked about it for at least 10 years. And then, here, you know, right. It's and actually the, so the White House, according to the White House, it is 33 years that, that Democrats been have been about. trying to get this done. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. 33 years. Yeah. This is why we love Biden. People, they really underestimate the he guy. It it's like he's gotten all this stuff done that nobody else could do. And people yeah. are still like, mm -hmm. I don't Biden. know. And it's so, it's so, you know, uh, like unsatisfying. We talk about this a lot. Like, you know, I like immediate gratification as much as the next person. Right. And, um, you know, sure. when we're fighting for these uh, these things that are so transformative and so important to people, like you said, to working people, this is going to uh, really transform their lives in a significant way. And, and you know, uh, there's so many folks who are making decisions between buying food and the medicine that they need. Um, and, uh, yeah. you know, this is going to just make it more accessible. But, you know, uh, you know, we always want it to happen right away. And, Gosh, the, the government just moves so slow. It's just an institution that is set up for, you know, slow moving change. But this gives me hope because we just stay at it. We keep fighting for it. We can't we can't let up. We can't get discouraged. And, um, you know, it, th this is uh, another big transformation of our healthcare industry. I would like to see even more. I would like to see single payer. That's just me and a whole bunch of other people. But, um, you know, this is uh, a step in the right direction. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's going to help a lot of people. Absolutely. Yeah, I had a guy on TikTok. I made this TikTok celebrating this. And he said, well, but it's not going to start until January of 2026. And I was like, you know, <laughs> <laughs> let's all try to have a little gratitude here. <laughs> like, yeah, it, we wish it would start sooner. And every Republican is trying to repeal it. Drug companies are trying to repeal it. So I am going to choose to not be angry at the Democrats 
that it couldn't be implemented sooner. Like this is a miracle and 2026 will be here before we know it. And we got to keep fighting because to okay. your point, they are going to fight it. And and so we need to make sure that uh, the public is, you know, we always, public sentiment is huge. It's what saved the yeah. ACA, you know, and, um, you know, if we don't have that, it makes it a lot easier for the Republicans and the pharmaceutical companies to fight this and to get it tied up in the courts and to uh, stop it from being implemented. So, you know, we need to stay loud on these not sexy, but really impactful things. Right. Yeah. There was, I also saw the Democrats put out an interesting video that reminded me that it, that Trump in 2016, actually, this was one of the things that he ran on. Why, um, why don't we do it? Why don't we allow Medicare to make um, drug prices cheaper? And then he met with pharma lobbyists in 2017 and, and decided to drop that. And they said, so, this is why. <laughs> amazing. Because <laughs> we want more money. Yeah. yeah, it's pretty amazing. So go Biden. I'm very happy and, about this. And some today. of these, some of these drugs too. Like I'm looking at the chart of the drugs that the first, and this is the first ten, right? They're going to be doing right. more of these every year. But some of these drugs are like there's a drug called Stellara that it treats uh, psoriasis and Crohn's disease and ulcerative ulcerative colitis. And the out-of-pocket cost per year can be like $119,000 right now. Wow. Like these drugs are crazy. Yeah. Yeah, so, they take... yeah. I mean, and if you're dying of something like that, you you need the drug. So. Yeah. Well, it's, and it's one of those things too. Um, Anat has this thing where it's like, because when people are crunched by inflation and prices are high and so people are having trouble making ends meet and she has this saying that's like um just for our listeners messaging expert Anat Shankar Asario <laughs> Anat Shankar Asario <laughs> you know that's like we we should also like instead of just focusing on these prices we should also be asking why are we so broke and this is one of the reasons mm. like people are broke because their their medicine costs too much because the pharmaceutical companies are just like driving these prices higher and higher and so this does start to chip away at that at that problem where it's just a fundamental unfairness of the economy so it's not it's not the only thing there's a million other things that need to be done but it does i think it does get at that fundamental that is such a good point it's so, uh, yeah it's a great point, great point and also a nice segue to our interview coming up or a little tease oh, in yeah. terms of like it's messaging true. and and uh and how we how we talk about these things but before we do that um let's talk about our action item of the week which is not just of the week but you know we're digging into mm -hmm. of the uh, season of the season, that's right. Action item of the season. Uh, it's it's my favorite time of the year, and that's the Virginia election season, which is mm -hmm. our um, our in between year election, which is so important. You know, uh, we've we've seen the pendulum swing both ways in the last few elections in Virginia. Uh, we saw how impactful it was when we had the majority uh, there in in Virginia and the kind of laws yeah. that they were able to pass and then uh, how uh, damaging it's been since we lost that. And we also see uh, this election more than anything else is really a great bellwether for what we expect to see in the uh, following year election, uh, especially when it comes to like volunteer engagement and enthusiasm. I'm always looking at Virginia. So um, let's talk right. about uh, 
what's the Commonwealth of Virginia? I was trying to think of what their <laughs> motto yeah, is. And I know we talked about this when we had Tram on too. For, so, but if people right. didn't didn't listen, I'll just give like a quick overview. And it it really is something that everyone needs to pay attention to because it's a bit of a nightmare scenario that could happen in 2023. When we know that this is an important belt, it's the first bellwether of 2024, right? So imagine the nightmare scenario of the GOP has won control of both houses of government. They already have the governor. So now they have a trifecta, a complete Republican trifecta. They're already poised to implement a full MAGA agenda, which includes outlawing abortion in Virginia, which is the last Southern state where abortion is legal right now. And then you have GOP Governor Glenn Youngkin, who's really launched as this great savior who who turned Virginia red and now he is has a bulging war chest and he is actually a real alternative to Trump who's currently a front runner currently facing 91 felony charges so we don't know what's going to happen there's no other heir apparent it is a nightmare scenario at the end of this year to ha- to give Glenn Youngkin that victory and Democrats are so close to being able to stop it. We know we can stop it. And it's only two seats away from the red trifecta. And there is a path for Democrats to hold the House and then flip the Senate with those two seats. And honestly, like, it's, I'm sorry, I said that wrong. Hold the Senate, flip the House right. um, with the, um, and also at the same time, thwart this possible presidential plan. I mean, of course he might run anyway, but the difference between him like riding high on a victory of having just flipped the entire state and him get losing the both houses um, of, of the Commonwealth is a huge difference. So I just wanted to paint that picture. So everyone understands like it's on a knife's edge right now. We do have a path to win, but it isn't going to just happen. And Yunkin has a huge war chest and is putting everything he can into it because it is a make or break for him so our job is to stop that from happening oh i just can't i was like waiting my turn and then jennifer literally said every single (laughs) thing i was going to say better than i could have said it it is not i can't echo everything that you just said enough there the importance of this race can't be overstated it is literally glenn youngkin terrifies me yeah because he's really really conservative like he's dying Mm -hmm. to sign an abortion ban he loves the anti-lgbtq laws and the laws that hurt trans kids he loves that stuff and yeah he is dying to step into the presidential race and he is just waiting to see what happens in this election not to mention that when democrats won the majority finally both in both houses in 2019 they immediately started passing all of these incredible incredible bills donka room was like yeah we were just waiting she said the minute we had the majority we passed Medicaid expansion and 700,000 more Virginians got coverage, healthcare coverage. Like this is the kind of thing that Democrats do immediately upon gaining power and it changes lives. They closed it, a, a gun pipeline too. They they passed some yeah. uh, gun legislation yeah. there. That, yeah. Voting rights. Uh, yeah. Yes. Uh, they and they were the final they state got, to ratify the ERA. If, yeah. if, yes. if Congress Climate wants to take stuff. that up. Yeah. Yes. I mean, and Glenn Youngkin has left. He's pulled Virginia out of that. Uh, the vote. What is the election? Uh, uh, the the voter registry. I can't remember the name mm. of it. He's terrible on climate. He's terrible. And yeah, it is literally we need to hold the Senate, which we have a two seat majority and flip about five seats. And what I will say is that um, sister district, 
the States Project and Run for Something, among other organizations, Center for Common Ground. There are so many groups doing such incredible work to help us yeah. win these elections. Um, I've got a resource document, as I yes. always do, but then Swing <laughs> Left is doing incredible work. Like all of the groups are working in Virginia, and there is a reason for that. And if we bring the same energy to this race that we just brought to Ohio and, and Wisconsin. Wisconsin before that, yep. we will win. Yeah. Yep. And that's, that is what's so interesting is that for some reason it's not, for some reason, what's happened in Virginia, what's happening in Virginia has not grabbed the same kind of attention as we've seen in Ohio and Wisconsin. And I, so we're really sounding the alarm. That's like, you guys, like this is exactly the same in terms of the implications nationally. I think people don't see Virginia as a swing state, maybe in the same way that they see Ohio and Wisconsin, because they think it's already more blue, but this is literally, there is like of national significance because yeah. of the bellwether and because of Yunkin. Yunkin is almost the scariest kind of Republican because he is a MAGA Republican to his core, as Jess said, but he per he puts himself he's off. pretty like good he at isn't. masquerading that. He's know. masquerading. And so he's almost harder to beat. Like we saw with Kemp in, in Georgia and, and how hard it was for Stacey Abrams to beat him. So I think he's tough. And I think that he would be formidable up against Biden, which I don't feel the same about, about Trump or any of the other Republicans who are running currently. I, I think agree. Biden could beat all of them easily. Yeah. And just, I, I agree. He scares me the most. Yeah. yeah. And you mentioned you, uh, Danica Rome. You just uh, got to hang out with her last weekend. Is that right? Just uh, two days ago, there was a fundraiser for her out here in LA. Um, and uh, she flew out for a couple of events and I got to meet her and hear her speak, which was really amazing. She is amazing. She's so wonky. Yeah. Um, crazy. <laughs> and for those too. of you who don't know, Danica Rome is was the first transgender person ever elected to any state house in the country. Yeah. Um, and just since she got elected in 2017, I believe there are now yep. I think there are now 19 amazing. transgender people in state houses and she was the tip of that spear and she doesn't really want to talk about the fact that she's the first transgender she wants to talk about fixing roads and feeding children yeah and protecting abortion rights and like she is so focused on policy in the yeah. most brilliant way um i just can't like anybody would be lucky to have her as a representative and she is now running for state senate yeah and she she said the same thing she said if we win mm -hmm. Glenn Youngkin goes away because in, in Virginia, governors can only serve a single term. Mm -hmm. So he's got really nowhere left to go. If he doesn't win both um, houses, his his presidential race really will never uh, take wing. Okay. Um, Such a good so opportunity. She, yeah. Right. Gotta be him. All right, yes. everybody. It is Virginia election time. I'm excited. Um, all Yay. those links will be uh, in our show notes. And uh, please click on them and sign up to volunteer. We've got a really interesting uh, interview with your partner, uh, Jennifer. Um, and yes, the amazing Dan Ancona. The amazing Dan Ancona. I'm excited for everyone to hear it. So without any further ado, here's our interview with Dan. Dan Ancona integrates research, data, and strategy to build tools and campaigns that strengthen democracy. He has helped create and build interest in numerous products and campaigns in his 20 years of experience in startups, technology companies, political tech, academia, and working with tools from advertising to voter files to artificial intelligence. 
He is also the author of Venus Shrugged, a science fiction novel where the advanced technologies are relationships and democracy, and six, since 2016 has been an award-winning independent media strategist. Welcome to How We Win, Dan. It's Jennifer. <laughs> it's so good to have you on. Um, and I've been so curious and, uh, and impressed with all of your work. You, you two are a power couple, in case listeners didn't figure it out. Dan, to me, is is, is the person walking in the background while I'm recording with Jennifer most of the time. Um, and uh, and so, you know, a true power couple, especially when it comes to communications and strategy. Um, I'm just curious, before we get started with, uh, with your current work, I'd love to hear how you got started with this work. Like, what, what led you down the path you're on now? Oh, boy. It's, that's, that's, Try to keep it tight, long, Dan. I know there's an hour-long <laughs> version of that that I won't get into. I just say up front though that the um, the plan was never for me to work for Jennifer. But that's how it sort of played out. Um, I was involved in politics about ten years ago, and I realized in my bio it says twenty years. It's a lot more than that now. Um, but I was involved in, in politics about ten years ago. Did field and data, and. Um, uh, and then kind of worked on a project that was really successful, went great, ended up walking away from it for various reasons. It got sold to some people and um, and and kind of got out of politics specifically. I worked for a nonprofit for a little bit called Democracy for America and worked for a couple of startups and had done things like building an AI backend for, um, for a dating app that unfortunately oh. didn't work out, unfortunately. But... Um, I um, wrote wrote the novel. Was primary parent for for our kid, um, and then in 2016, in the summer of 2016, a friend of mine I was at a conference, and a, and a friend of mine was like, "Why did why are Hillary's ads so bad?" And he like worked for a big advertising firm, and I was like, "I don't know. I didn't really think much about it." I was like, gave him some answer, and when the election, when the Trump election happened, I sort of kept thinking about that question that he asked. And I started to get involved and think about getting back involved and did a bunch of research and sort of started out looking at the media landscape and thinking, oh, I'm going to do AI or ad tech or something that was more along the lines. You know, I'd mostly worked in tech startups, something along those lines. And I realized that the problems that the Democrats had had nothing to do with that, that it just was like, th those were all important things. They needed, they were executing reasonably well on them, but what they didn't, what they weren't doing was figuring out how to tell stories and persuade people. So I started going down this road of, um, of trying to understand that problem. And, you know, my background was in engineering and, you know, then I'd written a little bit, but just understanding storytelling from writing and then understanding from engineering, how to build processes and how to make processes that solve problems. I, um, I sort of merged those two things and, Long story short, Jennifer sort of came back to Way to Win, and I'd worked for a couple of different clients, and and um, you know, in that area or in the area of, of media, mm -hmm. and then sort of like crowdfunded for my first campaign, you know, in this area to to do just to try things in the Doug Jones race in twenty whatever that was seventeen something like that, yeah. um, and then um, and then had gone through a couple iterations, and then finally wound up. Jennifer was doing honestly Way to Win was just doing the most interesting, most strategic most sort of blue sky let's attack this problem you know kind of work in the space and you know i approached them with a the, with the proposal and we ended up working together and how did you get in with them like where where did the proposal 
be presented? Was it presented in an office or was it just in your kitchen? Or I'm just kidding because you guys live together. <laughs> it, was, it was over a long time. A bunch of conversations. No, it's funny. We we were actually this was some of this happened on January 5th. Like we were having this conversation about how um, you know the next two like we just been through this fairly intense cycle and had done work in Georgia too. We'd worked together on the campaign in Georgia on doing a little outside spending campaign in Georgia and then you know the day before january 6 went down we were talking about how th there was going to be a huge push because they knew that they had the historical headwinds you know or tailwind at their back and you know they i just found this headline the other day newt gingrich was predicting that they would win 70 seats at the beginning of or at the end or at the beginning of 2021 mm -hmm. and you know that was not there were nobody said hey there's no way that's going to happen everybody was like yeah it could totally happen you know that's how it's been so um, we saw this thing coming, you know, we'd, we'd been pushing hard through the election, pushing hard through Georgia, didn't really slow down at that point, um, because we saw it was coming. And I think the results, you know, were, we were, there were other people in DC, there were other voices out there saying, look, we have to keep fighting on this, we can't roll over. But then we definitely land, ran into a lot of resistance. A lot of Democrats were like, we're doomed with, you know, the historical countercurrents are too strong against us, we just shouldn't hold off and try to you know work with with biden and do what we can and then wait to try to get him reelected. but um we decided to fight as hard as we could and i i'm really glad we did because we ended up in a position where things turned out that instead of being 70 seats it was only five seats and that yeah. makes a big difference i love people drilling down on historical precedent in incredibly unprecedented times right <laughs> just exactly. right. <laughs> anyway yeah yeah well, so, Dan, one thing I think would be interesting to hear from you more about is, you know, people talk a lot about how Democrats are terrible at messaging. They never know how to come up with the right, you know, argument or talking points. And I think one of the things that you've tried to do is really address that through data and learning and kind of process. So I think if you could share what your theory of the case is, I guess, around how we should be approaching messaging and then just the other thing is, you know, people say, oh, but our job is so much compl more complicated than their job is. And I know you also have have thoughts on that based on the data that you look at. So I'd love to hear you share more about that. <laughs> this is unfair. She's just lobbing softballs here. <laughs> you just know that. Like, um, let me go in reverse order. I mean, about our world okay. being more complicated and like, because yeah. I want to talk about process and geek out on that. I could go on forever. But like, like, yeah, just in terms of like overall approach, I mean, like, the, the reason that people think the conservative worldview is somehow simpler in some ways is because they are so good at what they've do, been doing. They've been spending enormous amounts of money on it. They have made predatory capitalism seem like the only way that things could possibly work, right? It's like, and anything else from that is unthinkable, right? Like the, And it's just arguments over years, mil, billions of dollars a year, right? You know, we're still out there looking, maybe someone who listens or hears this will know where this data is. I wanna know how much they've spent total on this kind of ideas marketing and this kind of influence operation, you know, everything from their research to their media. It comes, it's, I've seen estimates that are in the billions, billions per year mm -hmm. over whatever, 40 now, 50 years, more than that. Um, so they have managed to make, you know, and what they've managed to do is like to take even things like being people being willing to share these are kindergarten values and make those seem wrong right and bad and like a bad idea right and that's been it's been a whole process through media through culture through all the things that they've done um you know our worldview is not does not necessarily have to be 
any um it's it, i think once as we continue to work on this it will get easier and easier for us to say this you know like um you know being an american is about being willing to share it's about you know to those who have been given much has been given much is expected right which is something that like my mom said to me a lot right and i guess a lot of people didn't it's a kennedy line it's out there in the world you know but it's not something you hear from democrats you you can kind of imagine joe biden saying it right which is one of the things why i think biden is you know low-key one of the best communicators that we've had in a very very broken media environment that mm -hmm. maybe he, he and his team are you know certainly struggling with but um but you know he he does sort of harken back to that kind of sacrifice and um you know openness that that america has had always had a strain in some of it in since the founding um but has kind of gotten lost by the people who oppose that um and the process of sort of you know what we're doing and how it works and sort of you know what the um you know what the what the details are again i could go on and on but the, just um, give it over yeah, like, right, yeah. it's just like you have a you know yeah. there's a big problem how do you message about a certain thing or how do you sure. make a certain kind of argument and just right. what just for people who don't understand the process i think it's helpful yeah. to get an, a no window into that yeah, yeah. that work the um so when i worked in startups there was a thing called the agile process that is there's a million books about it eric reese has one of the ones the lean startup is a great book about mm -hmm. it um and i worked in a bunch of different startups where we'd adapted this in different ways um i i i think i i realized after i kind of come up with the process that we came up with that i was doing lean startup but just in a like in a more political way and we just had this sort of four four-part process that we do where we do a bunch of research we have a bunch of different inputs and they're like everything from like i'm a twitter shitter i like to call it <laughs> like x-i-t-t-r hopefully if you call it that i hope i can say that on your podcast you can leave it out right yeah, yeah. no no bleeps um, here right um <laughs> might exit uh, out i'm though, super because twitter is no <laughs> okay. x i don't know Sorry. Right. <laughs> I'm I'm super super addicted to Twitter. I always because I'm always looking for inputs into the strategic process. I'm like I I'm fortunately or unfortunately I find things on there that are helpful a lot. Right. Polls other people have done polls that we do. You know we've been working. You had Gretchen Barton on a couple of weeks ago. I haven't listened to that episode yet, but the kind of ethnographies that she does super deep, really trying to get into in, you know into what people are thinking. So that's sort of the research spoke of things. And then we, you know, craft arguments and we come up with, we write ads or sometimes we write text, but usually we do a lot of, we do, we try to fit it into a 30 second ad because it's a, enough time to sort of make one solid argument about one idea. Um, and then we do a ton of research on those ads and a ton of sort of trying to understand if that argument lands with people, if it's resonant, we do randomized control trials. We do sometimes one-on-one -on -one interviews with people where we'll just, sit there and watch an ad with people you can learn a ton from doing that we'll show them to friends and family you know even like share them on social media and see how people respond there's a million different ways that we can get that and then we so we do a lot of paid distribution and are now because jennifer is really really good at what she does we are um moving more into sort of social and organic and influencers and working with that too but we do do a lot of paid and you know people ask me do people still watch paid ads still they do and they still you know the beginning of youtube there's a lot of you know, five and 15 seconds, people watch, you know, sports and linear news, they watch so new, uh, local news is still a big, you know, big source. Mm -hmm. So we do paid distribution through all these different things. And then we do a lot of influence, taking all this data and sort of influencing the people who are who have much bigger budgets than we are, we're always sort of, we're, we're always building relationships with people and talking to them. 
And then we do all, you know, a bunch of evaluation on all of this process. So trying to watch the impact of the ads and all campaigns do sort of some variant of this. Sometimes the, some, a lot of campaigns don't do ad testing mm -hmm. still. Um, but, you know, we've basically tried to like put all these pieces together and, um, and really innovate on each of them. Right. So do more and heavier research than, than people have done, do, you know, more research across different or evaluation of the ads across different platforms and in different, you know, different ways, like the one-on-one -on -one thing is expensive and challenging and time consuming and annoying, but worth it. And, mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, we've worked with, you know, with this tiny team, we've worked with a bunch of different firms that handle all this stuff for us. We worked with a fantastic firm that does super, super detailed targeting of, um, you know, like household level targeting based on polling that is um, very innovative called Interval. So we're always looking for the people, the other people who are doing the innovative stuff to sort of build this this machine out. So it's like, it's like, it is like an engine, you know, we iterate, right? Like we do all this stuff and then we, you know, in the agile world, they call it build, measure, learn. It's mm -hmm. a little different for us, but it's, it's this, it's a cycle. You just, you know, take all that data that you learned from the previous cycle and then put it back through and try to come up with better and better arguments. Mm -hmm. It's also fun. <laughs> Sure. I want to live in the agile world. That sounds like a fun world right? to live in. What a it's great the, phrase. There's <laughs> just like tons of like data coming in and we're like constantly juggling, spinning tons of plates, trying to get writing scripts and like looking at, you know, the latest edit coming from one of the, all the brilliant. Oh, that's one of the things that we've done too, is we've, we've worked on that, the sort of creation spoke of the, of the, uh, of the, uh, of the arc of this is we've worked with a bunch of different Ordinarily, you pick one consultant, you work with them, right? If you're like mm -hmm. running for, you know, like Steve, you're running, you probably have one general consultant and maybe a media consultant. Usually they're the same firm. Um, uh, shopping for a media consultant right now, as a matter of fact. Oh, do, so, have yeah. we got a guy for you? <laughs> <laughs> um, there, um, uh, you know, we've worked with, actually, we have a bunch of people because we've worked with a bunch of people and so there's so many brilliant like really people who really care about what they're doing you know on the democratic side um and we've just worked with a bunch of them and and, and found people who we use for different purposes and have different strengths and weaknesses and um have you know been able to find these people who are doing amazing work and that's you know working with those people is how we've won a couple of different awards like we won polies which is like this sort of corny but like actually kind of great uh thing that the american political uh, american association of political consultants do um, the Oscars of political ads. The Oscars, right? Yeah. <laughs> right. I was but gonna it's cool ask... because no, sorry, I, I won't. I won't go on that. Yeah. Well, I was gonna ask, like, uh, you know, having built that and helped Way to Win build that really cool technology stack around build, mm -hmm. you know, build, measure, learn, listening, art, science, which is what we call it. Right. Um, what is like? What is the thing that that process has produced or yielded? Like the insight or the argument or the particular piece of content that um, that you're most proud of having been a part of. Yeah. <laughs> I know I, it's hard to pick, but you were complaining about the softballs oh. earlier, so just saying. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Exactly right. The softballs are over. Tell us your, which child do you like the most. Um, you know. Uh, uh, you know, the, the one that comes to mind is, is the, um, God, we, we, the one that won the poly in the last, I actually went to the poly, I actually went, the AAPC was meeting in Palm Springs, mm. I actually went to the event and, and, and judged because they asked people from the community to judge. So this is how I kind of realized it's a real thing because 
<laughs> everybody votes on everybody else's stuff. So there were like hundreds and hundreds of judges and it's like, it's hard to win. Like, it's actually like you, you people are really looking at your stuff and really making decisions about, you know, how they score things. Um, but um, that one was, that one was fun. It was, it was not, you know, it was sort of, it was a concept that Jennifer and I were. It was a collaboration too. It was definitely a collaboration. It was, it was Jennifer and I hammered on it. We wrote a million drafts of that thing. And then that was finally, the protect like, our freedoms ad. Is that that one? Yeah. yeah. That we worked on with the knot and her mm-hmm. team. And yeah. Like, yeah. And it was, I, yeah. It was great. I was thinking the other one that was really cool was the What's Possible, which was the first one that we did. Yeah. Yeah. Just because I think it was really, it was a time where we were still in COVID, you know, and it was just such a weird time of how do you actually tell the story of what has happened and what, how do we have hope in this moment in 2020? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. There, there were four tentpole ads that we've done. And we've learned so much from all of them. This is the temples are sort of what we call these sort of big efforts. Like the larger arguments, like the, you know, like the one or two minutes. It's like not a 30 second ad on one little thing, but like, what's the whole story we're trying to tell right now? And we've found that to be really useful in these key moments. Like the first one we ever did was in this summer, the heat of the summer uh, of 2020, you know, right, right after the summer, I guess. So after George Floyd and after all mm-hmm. of the conventions, we launched that, that piece. And it really, it really took off and helped shape, I think, a lot of narrative around that moment. And that won an award. And and they're the, they're the ones that every time we do one, it takes every, like, all our whole soul all of us like <laughs> get sucked into it you know like just getting like the most the freedom for all one the most recent one mm-hmm. like to a like barely and it was the draft that i wrote was hideous like we looked back at it later and it was horrible <laughs> and like a knots team like did an amazing job like getting it from hideous and gross and like would have been horrible if we'd run it it was <laughs> it's a long story but like it was um but but yeah, so it was it was a you know it was a big horrible process just to get to that point, and then it was a big lift with a bunch of other people writing on it. Christian had some good edits, like every, the the production team had a bunch of good edits. Everybody had good edits in that. Um, it took like six uh, months. Wow. Yeah, it really did. We were at that many, like a million, and we ended up like we only settled on on my crappy draft as being like an even passable idea, like the night before the absolute drop dead because the production <laughs> schedule was really long. It took us a month. We were going to run out of time before the election. Like it was really, it was the worst part of this business is the calendar is like I feel like we're behind on next year already. Like there's a bunch of things I wish we were a little farther along already for Tell you know next it. year. Um, <laughs> Jessica, you so interesting. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. It's just really interesting to hear all the sort of making the sausage of political ads because, mm-hmm. you know, we don't really ever hear about this. We just, you know, find out when they come out and we click on play and we go, oh, that was nice. And we move on. But exactly. wow, six months. That's incredible. Wow. There's I'll like, try to like give them more reverence <laughs> next time I watch them <laughs> and share them. It's- I, I guess just sure, please share because that's, I always do. I yeah, always so do. so that's that's my next question. And one thing that I love about the work that you all have been doing and the and the trends that I see with democratic messaging, um, really, uh, I saw it very effective in the last midterms for the first time, and that's mm-hmm. um, not being so responsive all the time and reacting to the Republican messaging, but making our case and, and taking mm-hmm. that field and, um, and you know, really shaping 
uh, polling instead of being responsive to polling also. Um, mm-hmm. And I think yeah. that's something that you all have been really leading the way on. And, and of course, it's up to us as, as listeners and people who engage with that content to share it out and make sure that, uh, that it finds that audience and goes viral. So, um, you know, what are some ways that our listeners and volunteers and stuff can really help, you know, what we're doing is shaping the narrative that going into um, what is, you know, yet again, the most important election of our life. <laughs> yeah. Um, that, this is, this is the question I was hoping you would ask actually that I was, in fact, I meant to nudge Jennifer to make sure that this happened because mm-hmm. something. I got you. Oh, you can't rely on Just her. It, I'm right here it, for right. you. <laughs> <laughs> um, something, something amazing is happening right now, which is that the, sort of what we've been calling social media infantry right like mm-hmm. the the army of people who are paying attention to social media and who are who are sharing this stuff is getting big enough that it's it's rivaling now the impact and and some people think is greater than the impact and that's arguable i don't know i think they both matter the impact of paid advertising and a large network of engaged people who are if they're getting good information which is a big question, right? Um, could have a, a, a huge positive impact in how our democracy functions. Like this is like changing, like altering sort of the the way American democracy functions. It's getting there. And people who participate in that, anybody who participates in that is helping to like save our democracy right now. So if you like, I and one of the big challenges that we have is like, I don't want to say, go get on shitter go sign up for an account on that platform because there's a lot of really bad stuff happening right there but mm-hmm. hopefully you know threads is sort of frying pan fire they have their own problems with um with what's going on but we're we're looking at the this sort of platform issue and trying to find things that we can give to people that we can give to activists and just armchair activists and people who are not super engaged but you know building channels to people so that they can share and share these kinds of share this kind of content anybody who's doing that anybody who's finding their own voice even if it's just sharing with family even if it's not sharing publicly you know on social media if you don't feel comfortable doing that but sharing it with your you know with your group chat is like really doing important work for american democracy right now and we're still trying to figure out how to make that as easy and smooth and how to build channels, you know, so we have what, one of the things that we've been talking about is the freedom to amplify, right? And that's what's a little scary about billionaires buying these platforms is if mm-hmm. there's messages that they don't like, they're not going to give you that freedom to amplify and that they're going to, you know, we already have seen this repeatedly with Twitter that, you know, he shitter that he's got his thumb on the scale and there's, it's not transparent. We don't know what's going on. So there's, you know, there's platforms that are open and transparent that haven't taken off like Mastodon. But whatever, whatever social media, whatever platform you're on, if you're starting to follow these things, you know, there's there's a, a good thing to sign up for is Demcast. A guy named Nick Knudsen has sure. you know, mm-hmm. been building that. He's been on our um, show, too. You know. Nick's a great guy. Yeah. Oh, awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, that's a good thing. There's a bunch of them out there. If you follow him, you'll start following other things. But yeah, but anybody who's listening to this should absolutely, you know, share share this stuff. And I know sometimes it's hard to find your voice. It's hard for me to find my voice. I do this all the time. But, you know, share things and you're not always going to be perfect, but you, you know, you sometimes you get in a fight with the family, but um, this is <laughs> but, really important. For yeah. And, right and, and what I've what I've seen, you know, historically, you, you campaign just live and die by polls. You know, you go and you poll people and you find out what the issues are that are most important to them. And then that's what you talk about on the campaign. And now what I have seen is 
um, us organizing around events, you know, and uh, – and then putting that issue out on social media through great ads and great messaging like what you all are doing. And then, you know, getting earned media from it, watching it get picked up by the news. So all of a sudden they're talking about, I'm thinking like just as one example of the, uh, you know, save our social security. You know, I, I remember getting yeah. that out there and all of a sudden they were talking about that on the news. And then all of a sudden that moved in the polls and it became something that people cared about more because we were telling them that it was important for them to care about that. And it's yep. such a such a powerful switch in how yep. we approach, you know, approach this work. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, the social media infrastructure you now is getting big enough that it can shape these things. I mean, there, there's, you know, groups that are working on this that like are getting hundreds of millions of impressions on Twitter, and it's okay, it's on shit or whatever. But like, journalists are there, you know, like you're shaping the coverage, you're shaping the salience of what the, you know, what people in the world who sort of control the media narrative are starting to think. And that's important. I mean, that's, you know, there's been so much both sides coverage, even still, you know, from uh, the, from corporate media that right. like that right. we have to push back on that. And it's, it's starting to change a little, I don't know if it's changing enough, but, um, but the, the word is starting yeah. to get out to people that this is important. Jessica. I, yeah. Oh, go ahead. sorry. Go ahead, Jennifer. No, so I was just going to say that idea of how we actually create the ability for more and more people to amplify the right messages is the key thing we have to crack, I think, getting mm. going into 24. Agreed. Jessica, were you going to say something? Else? I was just I gonna... mean, oh, go ahead. Nope. I was giving it to you. Oh, I was just going to say the Demcast, um, I have found as someone who gives people a lot of actions to take and has I've devoted a section of my newsletter now to spreading the word because the messaging is so important. Toolkits like the one that Demcast does, where you can go in, you, you can um, choose the platform that you're comfortable posting on and find the content already there and already uh, with a post written for you. Uh, really is effective and is really great. And um, I have put, used the Demcast toolkits a million times. I recommend them to my followers um, and they work really well. When I am enabled to easily post these ads on say Instagram or uh, TikTok, um, don't underestimate TikTok. There's a lot of people over there who are dying to watch political content. Um, they do really well. I yeah. posted that uh, ad on TikTok. You guys didn't do it. It was the one of the, um, you know, the one that went viral of the couple that were about to have sex. And then the, oh, yeah. the Republican congressman comes in. Right. Yeah. I posted that on TikTok and it got like, I, I don't know, it was up at like half a million views. Last time I checked, it was Amazing. people really respond to stuff like that there and it gets shared. Yeah. Um, so it's a powerful platform for spreading stuff like that. And I hope they will add TikTok as one of the platforms that you can share to soon. That that was that ad was so good. And I I was kind of kicking myself because I actually had a storyboard for a really similar concept, like sitting <laughs> that's been sitting in my Google slides for like three years. <laughs> but actually there was I liked that I liked the way they did it more than mine, even so. It was good. It was awesome. Yeah, it was good and it was kind of quirky. I mean I don't know what it was unexpected because it didn't even deal with abortion. It dealt with birth control and I don't yeah. know why it hit the way it did, but it just hit it was i think i watched else. it for the first time on your uh tiktok jessica which made it even more fun because i got to see your face on there being like hmm 
Hmm? Wait for it. Wait for it. <laughs> and I was like, what is she playing on here? It was like, huh? Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. There's, there's yeah. a there's a thing about like watching stuff together that I think TikTok does sometimes that like it seems to be really powerful that um it's like I feel like maybe it's the demographic a little younger than I am, but like it's it's a um I just I I can't get my head around TikTok. um, I try to post on TikTok. It's just two to three hours of my life wasted because they just have me nailed. It's all like old rock and roll footage and comedy stuff. I just get video after video. I get so sucked in. It's very dumb. And of course, Jessica's channel too. Yeah, of Um, course. We love Jessica. I'm addicted to text, right? Like I'm so texty. I'm like research and ideas and arguments. Well, look. Yeah, um, you make videos. You you make videos. It's weird. I write. That's the thing. The other people do the visual stuff. So, yeah. Well, we've taken up enough of your time, and uh, it's probably getting uh, towards dinner time in the Akona household. So um, we'll just end (laughs) with the uh, last question that we ask all of our guests, and that's what is giving you hope right now? Oh, man. I don't, this is, this is a lot of things. Youth sports, you know, like <laughs> we spent the weekend at an away event and it was like the funnest thing. It was like, it's, <laughs> it's a, Marco's on a sailing team. And it was just like, it was really, really fun. So um, seeing kids, building social connections, learning how to trust each other, like being away from their phones. Like I was just reading mm-hmm. about, uh, there was a great hidden brain episode about, um, about dopamine how everyone's dopamine overloaded right now and how your brain sort of down regulates if you're constantly getting stimulus uh, that you know does the the fires the dopamine receptors like and like the best like (laughs) exactly (laughs) right right the absolute best thing you can do is just not be near that and be outside and doing something else right and like just seeing kids like getting a chance to do that and you know later that night they were on their phones but like having something to balance that out. It's so, so important right now. And like for all of us to be outside, just being outside right now is what's giving me hope just generally in any context. So. Love that. Well, Dan, so glad to finally get to talk to you uh, and not just see you providing tech support in the background and walking (laughs) around. Um, And thank you so much for your incredible work. I can't wait to see what you have cooking up next. Thank you. I've been listening and I enjoy the pod when I get it. I don't listen to pods too often, but when I do, I've been digging this and it's so great to be on and uh, appreciate what you Thank you I for running. I don't often you listen running. to pods, but when I do. <laughs> no, I listen to it's them. yours. <laughs> All right. Well, the most interesting people in the world. Exactly. Well, I, maybe. I mean, some somewhere on the spectrum, I guess. <laughs> um, we try. All right. Well, thanks again and uh, hope to see you back on the show again soon. Thanks, Dan. Thanks, Dan. Thank you for joining us today. This is how we win. We win when we all get involved. We want to hear from you. Send us an email at hello at howwewinpod.com or find us on social at howwewinpod, at bluesboysteve, at Jen and Kona, and at jesscraven101. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review on Apple or wherever you get your pods and share our show with your friends and family. There's always more work to do, so we will be back with some more next Wednesday. Wednesday.